0: If you're a dividend investor, you've no doubt come across people on the internet who question your ability to do simple math. The comments that you've undoubtedly heard are, dividends aren't free money, they come out of the stock price. Dividends mean the company has no more good growth ideas. You don't need dividends, you can always just sell shares, or Over the long term, growth stocks are always going to outperform dividend-paying value stocks. Now, we'll say there is some truth that's baked into each one of those comments, and we're going to go over all that. But what people with that perspective fail to realize is that investing is bigger than just simple math. But first, let's go over the math so that we understand what the argument is. And let's start with the classic, dividends aren't free money, they come out of the stock price. Now, here's how dividends and stock prices work in general. Let's say a stock is trading for $100, and on October 1st, they announce earnings of $5 in excess cash per share. They plan to keep $1 in retained earnings to use in the future for the business, and they decide that they'll distribute the additional $4 per share as a dividend for shareholders who own the stock on October 11th. Now, it takes two to three days for stock transactions to clear, so let's say the ex-dividend date is October 9th. That means you have to buy the stock by the end of October 8th in order to receive the dividend. And how this generally impacts the stock price is that on October 8th, the stock should trade for $105, which is basically broken down with future earnings being worth about $100. Then they have $1 in new retained earnings and a $4 dividend that's coming to shareholders. And then on October 9th, the stock goes ex-dividend, meaning new shareholders won't receive it and they're not going to pay a premium for a dividend that they're not going to receive. So the stock should trade for about $101, which breaks down with future earnings being worth $100, and they still have that $1 of new retained earnings. So on that ex-dividend day, the stock price should basically drop the amount of the dividend. And of course, those are just general numbers. There's all kinds of variables that impact a stock price, whether it's news about the company or other things that make it go up and down. But in general, this is how the market handles dividends in relation to price. So when people say the dividend comes out of the stock price, They're right, it does. It's absolutely not free money. It's the earnings that a company generated that they're giving back to its shareholders. But that's not the whole story. The main difference between a company that pays a dividend and one that doesn't is that the shareholders get to decide how they wanna allocate their slice of the profits. Now, here's what I mean. So if we have company A, which is the one that we just talked about, and they made an extra $5 per share, they're keeping $1 for the business, which we still own shares in, and they're giving us $4 for each share that we own to do with whatever we want. So if we need to use it as income, we can. If we want to reinvest in a different opportunity, we can do that as well. Or if we want, we can reinvest back into the same company because we believe in it. Now, obviously, you will pay tax on the dividend, but tax is the price that you pay to have the option to use the profits however you want. That's the price of flexibility. And then if we have company B that doesn't actually pay a dividend, but keeps the full $5 in the business and for future growth prospects, you still have a claim on those profits because you're a shareholder, but you're trusting the management team to make good decisions in terms of how they allocate those profits. So one isn't necessarily better than the other, they're just different in terms of who makes the decision on what to do with your slice of the company profits, either you or the company. And Now obviously both companies could also do share buybacks with the excess profits, which benefits shareholders as well by increasing their overall stake in the company, and they generally don't have to pay taxes on that either. But again, share buybacks are a version of the company making that decision for you. And in case you think that share buybacks are always better than dividends, there are plenty of examples where they're not. And it really has to do with the price that the company is buying the shares back at. And one of the most obvious examples of this was Facebook or Meta in 2021, where they did about $40 billion worth of share buybacks between April 2021 and January 2022. By far, their largest amount of buybacks in a three-year quarter span ever. And it was at prices between $300 to $335 per share. And they did that just to watch the stock dip all the way down to $90 per share within the next year. And even more recently, we talked about Dollar General where they bought back shares in the 200 to $250 range just to watch the stock dip to $109 less than a year later. So just like with everything, there's nothing that's always good or always better. It really depends on each individual situation and whether you want the company to allocate your profits for you or if you want to do it yourself. But how about when people say that paying dividends means the company has no more good ideas for growth? A company that consistently pays and grows dividends over time is showing the strength and stability of their business model and the ability to generate cash flow. For investors, it's another measure we can use to determine how reliable or volatile an investment might be. And growth investors are going to say exactly because the company doesn't have any more good ideas for growth. They're just giving cash back. And that means they're going to grow slower and have a lower return over time. And if investing was done in a vacuum and all things remained equal, then I would probably agree with that. But the reality is that It's not done in a vacuum and things are never really equal between companies. And just as an extreme example, Peloton investors who bought in July of 2021 at $125 per share after they just announced amazing growth of over 2x year over year, probably don't think all those growth prospects were worth it, at least now, especially for a company that never made a profit and is currently trading at less than $5 a share. Just brutal. And I know that I'm cherry picking a really extreme example, and the reality is a lot more nuanced than that. Because you can have a company like Google or Amazon or obviously Berkshire Hathaway, and they've never paid a dividend, they reinvest profits, they buy back shares, and they've had amazing growth and success. But again, it depends on your exact timeline and where each company is at in their story. Because if you take the total return of the past five years between the following companies Google, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, McDonald's and Starbucks, you might be surprised at the results. Out of the five, Google has had the best return out of all of them at 115%, which probably isn't much of a surprise. But then the next two best performers are the dividend payers, McDonald's and Starbucks at 80.86 and Starbucks at 77.09, respectively. And both of them have outpaced the total return of Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon over the past five years. So again, just because a company retains earnings and has a plan for growth doesn't mean that it's going to materialize in terms of a higher stock price. Sometimes just having a solid business that generates cash consistently is going to have a better overall return. It just depends on each individual business. Okay, but what about the theory that dividends are unnecessary because investors can just sell shares whenever they need cash? And this is one of those things that is technically true. Like if you have good total returns, you have the flexibility to sell shares whenever you want, then... You can absolutely do that, and it works. What it means, though, is that you're more susceptible to market timing and factors that impact the current stock price, which could determine your tax impact, how many shares you have to sell, or how much money you'll be able to access at any one time. And one of the great things about dividend stocks is you can plan for the future as to what your cash flows are gonna be, especially if you're investing in stocks that consistently pay and grow their dividends. So while stock prices go up and down, you know that your cash flow coming in is likely to stay steady or even grow, regardless of what the market is doing in any given month or year. Plus, being able to plan your cash flows in advance means you can adjust to complement your income needs without being dependent on a certain stock price at the time that you need your money. And I view investing in dividend companies like having a true business owner mindset because you've invested in a company and they're paying you part of the profit. So owning Starbucks is like being a part owner of a coffee shop. Or owning Valero is like being a part owner of an energy company. But I don't have to sell my shares to realize income from that ownership stake because they're paying me in cash every quarter. There's nothing wrong with selling your shares whenever you think is best if you don't like dividends, but it does add additional variability into your process that you have to manage and account for in a slightly different mindset. And that just might not be the right thing for everybody. Okay, but what about the claim that over the long term, growth stocks are gonna always outperform dividend-paying value stocks. So obviously, we've already talked about this on an individual stock basis, and it's really gonna depend on each individual company that you're looking at. So it's impossible to answer from that perspective. And even if you're talking about a group of individual stocks, it's really gonna be highly dependent on how well the companies are that you pick end up doing. But I think it's only fair to look at it from a general growth index versus a dividend index to see how they perform differently over time. So I decided to use the following three Vanguard funds or ETFs, VIGAX, Vanguard's Growth Index Fund, VIG, Vanguard's Dividend Appreciation Index ETF, and VYM, Vanguard's High Yield Dividend ETF. And I used ETS for two and a fund for one just so that I can get the most historical data to be able to compare the three. And I was able to get up until January, 2007. So a little over 25 years of data. And if you look at the performance over that time, there is no question that the growth fund performed better with an overall average of 11.37% compound annual growth rate compared to 9.07% for the dividend appreciation ETF and 7.77% for the high dividend yield ETF. Now, part of that in theory is that it's kind of designed to do that. I mean, the growth fund is called growth for a reason. Plus, from a macro perspective, we had multiple zero interest rate timeframes in this 25-year period to where if you look at the data, we only had about four or five years in that 26-year period where the federal funds rate was higher than 0.5%. That's actually pretty crazy when you think about it. Like there was only four or five years higher than that level. And in environments like that, growth should definitely outperform. But here's the point, as crazy as this may sound, we don't have to choose one way over another because investing in growth and investing in dividends both have their advantages and disadvantages. For example, growth in general will outperform value over time, assuming there's no weird macro environment things going on, but it's also gonna have wild price swings that impact people emotionally. And there's a recent study that said 66% of investors have made an impulsive or emotionally charged investing decision that they later regretted. This is more common for Gen Zers at 85% than any of the other age groups, which trend down from there. And now, this was just a study of about 1,100 investors, so small sample size, but I think it's important to talk about how emotions impact our investing. Let's take the Facebook example again. So Facebook, or Meta, has been one of the most popular and profitable companies to ever exist, and it has been for a long time. So let's say you bought it five years ago, around $166 a share. You look now and you say, hey, it's at $298 a share, and I've made an 80% return. It's pretty good. But what you don't realize is that during that five years, your stock would have done this. It would have dropped to $153 per share one and a half years after you bought it. So you would have been negative on your investment one and a half years after buying. And then it would have risen to $380 per share a year and a half later. So you would be 2x your initial investment after three years. But then it would have dropped back down to $90 per share about one year after that. So after four years, you would have been down 46% on your initial investment. And then ultimately, it rose back up to $298 where it's at today. So five years later, you're back to that 80% total gain. So while it's easy to look at that performance chart and say, oh, yeah, I definitely would have held, in reality, that's a lot harder. And this is only a five-year time horizon, which in investing terms is relatively short. So imagine what it's like over 10 years or 20 or even 30. I mean, how many people who bought at $166 a share four years later were really holding when it was at $90? I just don't know. And it's not that dividend stocks don't have price swings too, they absolutely do, but one advantage dividend stocks have is that they're giving you consistent and growing dividend payouts. So even when the price is going crazy, your dividend payments are steadily growing over time. So from a mental standpoint, it helps to reduce anxiety and panic around share prices, because if you can still see that your income stream is steadily growing over time, you're less likely to overreact just because there's some temporary massive drop in share prices. And this is really the main point. Not only do we all have different investment goals, but we all have different personalities and temperaments, and they play a huge part in our results when it comes to investing. So while it's easy to say, oh, I'll just invest in growth for the next 30 years, the reality of market swings and the daily news cycle make that very difficult. So we have to be able to focus on what our long-term goals are, and when you're building a dividend income stream that's steadily growing no matter what, It really helps with that. But as you guys know, I'm a fan of mixing these ideas for the best results. If you have a 30-year timeline, it's probably good to get exposure to growth stocks. And investing in your retirement account into a growth index or fund is a great way to do that because you just keep adding to it and you don't mess with it too much since it's for retirement. That way, the swings in price won't bother you all that much to where you make any emotional decisions. And building a portfolio of dividend payers is a nice complement to that because it focuses your mind on a long-term outcome that incrementally shows your progress as you go. It's not meant to give you the absolute highest return that you ever could have gotten. It's meant to slowly and reliably build an income stream that helps you meet your goals in life, which is ultimately the reason that we're doing any of this in the first place. So what do you guys think? Am I totally off base with how we should be looking at dividend investing? Let me know down in the comments below. Hope you guys have a great day out there. Financial independence is true freedom. So keep building and stacking wins. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.